we're going to be looking at Galatians 3, verse 15 to 22. And the title is um, from the passage, What Was the Purpose of the Law? So this is the passage that Chris is going to read for us. Thank you. Brothers and sisters, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to the human covenant that has been duly established, so in its case, the promises were spoken to Abraham, to his seed. Scripture does not say, and two seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. What I mean is, the law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God, and thus does not do, and thus, and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it, it no longer depends on the promise. But God, in His grace, gave it to Abraham through a promise. Why then was the law given at all? It was added because of the transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. The law was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator. A mediator, however, implies more than one party, but God is one. Is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if the law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness certainly would have come by... Then righteousness... Sorry. Then righteousness would certainly have come by the law, but scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin. So what was promised being given through faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Now, I'm going to start off by doing a bit of a recap. Uh, we've been in Galatians for eight weeks now. And it's perhaps good uh, for perhaps people who, who haven't been able to come regularly just to think back to um, the purpose of the letter. And this is one of the earliest letters in the New Testament, um, if not the earliest, because it was written about 46 to 48 uh, AD. And it was a letter to, from Paul the Apostle to the churches, to Christians in the Roman province of Galatia, which is in modern-day Turkey. It's believed that he founded these churches on his first missionary journey, and you can read about that in Acts 14 and 15. But Paul heard that Jewish Christians had, uh, had infiltrated the churches, and they were teaching heresy. They were teaching that in addition to the gospel, people needed to keep customs of the Jewish law such as circumcision, and there's a hint that they might be um, told to, to keep festivals or even a dietary requirement. And, you know, this was not a minor issue, that the gospel itself, salvation solely by faith in Jesus' work on the cross, was at risk because it preached Jesus, a man's work. Jesus and the law. And as, Paul, um, going to say Paul, um, as Keith said last week, it, with the law, it's doing something. So Jesus and man doing something, suggesting that the sacrifice, sacrifice of Jesus was not sufficient for us. So it polluted the gospel. It belittled Jesus. It thumbed the nose of the, uh, the cross. 
and also questioned Paul's authority as an apostle. Now, this was written 46 to 48 AD, and here we are in 2018. A long time ago, isn't it? A very long time ago. So people from a different culture, different traditions, and here we are through all these years. What relevance has this today? Well, because we believe, we trust for our eternal salvation in the same gospel. And we too can experience false teaching. Now we see it, don't we, in many churches. So it's Jesus plus, Jesus plus good works. Jesus, and it's good to have good works. It's good to be kind, looking after people. But that's not the whole gospel. That's not the gospel that will save us. There is Jesus plus religious observances, and we need in our worship, and worship isn't just music, worship is the offering, the word. We're worshiping the Lord all the time we're here. Um, it's good to worship rightly and have things done decently and in order. But when we focus on the worship and the religious observances, thinking that they're going to get us to heaven, then that's heresy. You know, it's, we, we feel, you know, we've got to give a helping hand, and that's not right. And even in our, what we'd call evangelical stroke, charismatic church, we can take our eyes off Jesus to the gifts rather than the giver and the gift that he gives of salvation. We can become very me-centered, but we must always hold fast to the centrality of the gospel because it's the gospel that will bring us salvation that will justify us with God. Um, Two key verses in Galatians, in the book of Galatians, that Paul wrote. Um, they're 19, no, sorry, 20 and 21. Right. Um, I know uh, the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. And, you know, that's, it's what it is, is the work of the devil. You know, Satan is alive and active and wants to distract us from the church. And we don't really hear too much about Satan. But he can't stop the gospel of grace and freedom. That's what Jesus won at Calvary. But he can spoil it. Peter, in 1 Peter, says, be controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. When I was first a Christian, I, I was 30 I think when I was converted and I had a, a very sudden and very dramatic conversion when I was on holiday and I was living in Peterborough at the time 
And when I got back to Peterborough, I knew I wasn't a church. I knew I couldn't keep on with this church. So I prayed, and the Lord showed me another church, which I knew was the right church for me. And it was an Elian Pentecostal church. And the one thing I knew about the, the Elian Pentecostal churches was that they prayed in tongues. And I was terrified. I, I, I started to be terrified of hearing someone pray in tongues. And they, you know, and when, when the um, congregation, when we were worshiping, people would cry out, praise the Lord, hallelujah. And me rise up in my seat. I got very, very nervous. I used to sit beside the door at the back and I thought, if anything weird happens in this church, I'm going to slip out of that door. And so I told the pastor, a lovely pastor, their young man, and he said to me, you know, the devil can't stop you being saved, but he can spoil your salvation. And I thought, that's who it is. So we prayed, and you know, the fear went. And the same with the, 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 um, the churches. Satan, with his scheming ways, gets in everywhere. And we need to be aware of this. Paul's authority as an apostle was always also questions. Now, one of the uh, commentators said, Paul responded with white-hot urgency. This was a really important thing. So in the, um, we get, in those first two chapters, we get Paul, who I, I can only describe it as the teller offer. He rebuked the church and he expressed this astonishment that they should be led astray. He calls them, you foolish Galatians. Well, actually, it means a bit more than being foolish. It's you poor, silly, thoughtless, um, unreflecting, and senseless Galatians. That's what he thought of them. And he was angry with them, not just for going along with these people, but for not standing up for the gospel, not standing up for what they knew. He said, before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was portrayed as you as, cru as crucified. They had seen Jesus with their spiritual eyes. They had received the Holy Spirit. They had seen miracles, but they couldn't spot heresy. And I wonder if we would be able to. If people came in here and subversively whispered another gospel, would we spot that it was wrong? So how do we spot the false from the real? Well, we look at the real. We look at truth. And when Paul's arguing, he has somebody who argues with him, and it's the scripture. He talks in this passage about the scripture, like the scripture is a living person. Well, the scripture is the living word of the living God. You know, Billy Graham used to say, if you remember Billy Graham, used to say, the Bible says, right? And we need to know the word. We need to know the word. To reject the false, we need to know the right. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I went into a local shop 
and I paid with lots of pound coins. And the man spread them out and he said, that's not right, that's, no, can't take that. And I hadn't looked at them before, but there was one that was different from the other. It was an old pound coin. Well, I just looked at it and I hadn't noticed it was wrong. But this man, of course, taking change all the time was an expert and he immediately spotted the false from the real. And when I looked at it, I could see it was different. We need to know the word to spot false teaching in our midst because it can spread very quickly. Now, we're going to just have a look. Um, and I'm, well, before we do that, I'm going to read to you a little quote and, about Paul. And it said, challenging Paul to an argument about the law of Moses was like challenge, challenging Zorro to a sword fight or Robin Hood to an archery competition. You know, Paul knew the law. He'd been brought up um, as the law, uh, with the law. And um, so he knew the law. And so he didn't fight legalism by denying the law of Moses, by denying that the law of Moses mattered, but he fought it by showing what the law of Moses really said. Now, we're going to look at, at um, three verses from chapter 3, which we've already had when Dave preached, but we want to, want to look at them again because this starts, follows through Paul's argument. And in chapter, six, in chapter 3 and verse 6, Paul says, consider Abraham. Now think about Abraham. You know, the Jews were very proud of their physical inheritance from Abraham. He was the father of the Jews. But Paul puts, um, points to him, not just as the father of the Jewish nation and with his descendants, but also as the father of all who have faith. So I'm just going to read those verses here. Consider Abraham. He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. The scriptures foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the law in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So he wasn't just the father of the, the Jewish nation, the Jewish people, but he's the father of those who have faith. So if we have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, he is our father. Now, God gave amazing promises to Abraham. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Genesis 12. Genesis 15. He took Abraham out, looked at the stars in the sky, and he said, your offspring will be more than the stars. And in Genesis 17, that he would be the father of many nations. And how did Abraham react? Well, Sharon talked about her conversion, and she said it was very simple. Abraham simply believed. 
and he believed, and it was credited for righteousness. So in verse um, 6 in chapter 3, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. So he's our father. He's not just the father of the Jews, but he's the father of King. He's the father of Ben. He's my father because we are his spiritual children through faith. Now, we know God is the father through he is the father, but we are of the faith line, the faith line of Abraham. He simply accepted. Now, I'm just going to look because I... I really like this. Um, this is in Romans, and it's Romans 4. Paul wrote Romans um, about eight years after Galatians. And in Romans 4, he writes a lot about Abraham. He's developed his theology, as it were. And he talks about Abraham and says in chapter 4, the promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring. Not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed. The God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. That's amazing. Calling things that are not as though they were. Now, Abraham and Sarah. We know how the story, how they tried to give God a helping hand and produced Ishmael. But they always had the child of promise waiting. And it goes on to say, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. You know, it goes on to talk. And when you look, well, Abraham was 100. Sarah was 90. And he must have looked at his old body and looked at his old wife. And did he ever doubt? But you see, it says um, he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and, and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do all that he promised. I like the phrase, against all hope. Abraham in the hope believed. Have you ever been in a situation where you believe that God has given you promises? Perhaps through somebody, perhaps through the word. And the years go on, and these promises don't seem to come to fruition. And do you give up? Do you say, I must have heard wrong? You know, perhaps it's not going to happen. Perhaps God's going, has forgotten me. But you know, the scriptures call us to, to keep on in hope. Hope against hope. Keep on hoping because God always keeps his promises. I've got promises that God has made to me. And sometimes I just think, 
No, you know, I'm getting old. But now I think, no. I remind God of the promises that he's made. And I say, Lord, I know you can fulfill those promises in my life. And so, you know, be encouraged. God keeps his promises. So then we go on to the verses in uh, 3, verse uh, 15 to 22. Because Paul, keeping the example of keeping our promises, gives an example of a will. Now, this is my dad's will. And it was made in 1983. And in this will, there are promises. That's what happens with a will. Somebody makes promises to people. You know, it's not that the, the, the inheritance isn't given until they're dead. But this will is a will of promises. So it's a will of a promise to my mum that if my dad died, she would have the house and whatever money he had. And if she died, then before him, then my sister and I would have the inheritance equally divided among us. Now, no one can add to this will. If it's a legal document, we can't, you know, no one can add to it. And so Paul goes on to talk about the promises to Abraham, that these promises were spoken to Abraham and his seed. Now, usually seed means descendants, but he says, the scripture does not say unto seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. Um, in many Bibles, that is a capital S. So the promise was made not only to Abraham, but his seed, Christ. Now, Jesus was a physical heir of Abraham. Matthew 1 says that Jesus Christ, son of David, son of Abraham. But he's also the spiritual heir. Look at the promises to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. Well, that was fulfilled in Jesus, isn't it? All nations are blessed by Jesus. Your offspring will be more in number than the stars in the sky. You know, think of the millions and millions and millions of people that we will be seeing in heaven. The promises of God are inviolable. They can't be broken. But then, of course, Paul is talking about what about the law? And the law came 430 years later. Um, with the law, we're talking about the covenant at Sinai leading to the Ten Commandments and lots of religious uh, laws. Now, we, uh, we're talking about Exodus, how God brought the Israelites, Abraham's descendants, out of Egypt, and he gave them the law. The law was so important to the Jews. It was, they were God's special people, and they had the law. It was so important to them as their identity. But the law does not take place of the promises to Abraham. They're extra. They're extra. It says in one commentary, it's an addendum, something you put extra to the will. 
It, they have a different purpose. The purpose is not salvation. The promise to Abraham and his seed still stands, but it's on the back burner at the moment. It's not the time, because Israel had to be made ready for the seed to come. In Galatians 4, verse 4, um, Paul writes, when the time had fully come, when it was the right time, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. We, we might receive the full rights of sons. So he's referring to the birth of Jesus. The only reference to the birth of Jesus in the epistles if you note, no angels, no stable, no wise men, just completely got when the time had fully come, the right time. But until that time, the law was in operation. And the law was not instead of the promise. It had a completely different purpose. Now, I'm going to read from a commentary because it... It explains much better than I can. The law was never intended but to be a list of rules by which Israel could be saved, but it was a body of teaching which kept them on the right path towards faith in Jesus. Right? It wasn't intended to be a body of rules by which they could be saved, but a body of teaching which kept them on the right path towards faith in Jesus. It showed them their sin because they couldn't keep the law. It taught them to rely on the blood sacrifices in the temple and it prepared them to receive Jesus as Messiah when he fully came. So it was a preparing time until was ready for Jesus. Of course, the sad thing was for the Jews that when he came, he came into the world which we, he had made, he came to his own people. And his own people did not receive him. But to those who received him, he gave the right to be sons. Let me find it properly in John. You know, that was the, the great tragedy that after they couldn't recognize the Messiah. Right. He came to that which was his own, and his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of a human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Now, just briefly about the law. It says here, the law was put into effect through angels by a mediator, and the Jews believed that the law was put into effect. It was given by angels and by angelic interpretation through a mediator. And that mediator, of course, was Moses. And, and a mediator, So, um, but what you've got is Moses standing between God and the people. With Abraham, it was face to face. Promises, let's just 
Think a minute of the difference. The promises were given to Abraham by God alone. They were simply believed, and um, he is the father of all who believe. But the law was added, and it had to be kept, as Keith said, in all its entirety. If you did something wrong, you'd broken the whole law. You had to do something. And so it showed us our need for salvation that the promise offers. It showed us that we were sinners. It shows us still that, that, that there were sinners who need a saviour. Um, some years ago, my, my auntie was very poorly in hospital. She had cancer, and I went to visit her regularly. And she was a lady who wouldn't have anything to do with religion now. Don't talk to me about religion. I'm not having anything to do with religion. But... When I went one day, there were all these little uh, tracts, gospel leaflets around. And she was very quiet. And I said to her, well, it looks as if you've had a visitor. And she suddenly said, I, w I don't want to die as an old sinner. Now, the chaplain had visited. And I think the chaplain had faced her with the prospect of eternity without God. And he'd faced her with her need of salvation. And so I said, well, you don't need to. And so I too had a little thing I tracked in my bag and we went through it and we explained the cross and there was a prayer at the end and we went through that. And she could hardly wait to pray that prayer. She could hardly wait to pray it. And she died three weeks later. And you know, she changed. Even in those three weeks, she changed. Because she had that conviction that she was a sinner and she needed a saviour, the conviction of the Holy Spirit. In the last couple of verses, Paul says, is the law opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. Jesus said he came to fulfill the law, not to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. And if you look at the Sermon on the Mount, he's saying, you know, the law says, but I say unto you. And what he's talking is about heart attitudes. But, and if something else, I'm sure if some other way could have been found for us to be saved the Lord would not have sacrificed his son. But it's the only way, the only way. There is no other good enough to pay the price of sin. He only could unlock the gates of heaven and let us in. And in verse 22, it says, the scripture declares the whole world is a prisoner of sin. And you know that comes from the curse, doesn't it? Just as, you know, Adam and Eve disobeyed. They disobeyed the revealed word of God. And so everything went out of joint, including creation itself. And Paul writes about this in Romans. It was the whole world is a prisoner of sin, so that what was promised, being given through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe. Now, I just want to look at Luke. 
elephant. I am. Got all my bits. Right. And Luke 4. And I want to take you to Nazareth on a Sabbath day where they all met in the synagogue as was the habit. And a man, a carpenter, went into the synagogue as was his custom. And this is verse 16. And he stood up to read. The scroll of Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed and to proclaim the years the Lord's favor, the year of the Lord's favor. Freedom for prisoners comes through Jesus Christ. He fulfilled the promise. The promise was fulfilled with the coming of Christ. And it's through him that we know forgiveness. Through him we know salvation. Through him we know freedom. And we have the right to become children of God. Children of God through Jesus. Now, I found this passage quite hard. In fact, very hard. I haven't spoken um, from a pulpit for 15 years, so I'm really, really rusty. And as I was doing it, it was a bit like being under the law, <laughs> trying to know how to say it rightly. And I kept asking the Lord, and what I kept getting was a little chorus. Now, nobody seems to know it, but if you do know it, I can't, I'm not going to sing it, but this is what the Lord, that, my, that his amazing grace has paid the price for me. That his amazing love has set this prisoner free. And I'm free to be, I'm free to be a child of God. Yes, I am free, and so are you. Because we are free to be children of God. And we're not free for license, free to do as we like. We're free to be the child, children of God, God intended us.